All right, guys, we want to bring up another sponsor of ours. It is Kelsey Picker Realtor with Keller Williams Coastal Area Partners. And if you need to buy or sell property anywhere in the United States, go to kelseypicker.kw.com. And her information will be at the bottom of that page or reach out to us at any of our social media pages or our email. And we will be happy to put you in touch. <laughs> Who's that coming down the track? Who's that coming down the track? It's a mean machine and red and black. It's a mean machine and red and black. What's up, y'all? This is John, and I have Mike with me again this week with our special guest, Candler Cook, is coming back on the show to talk about that experience that he had in L.A. for the repeat. We've um, we've been kind of having conversations about doing this episode since literally the night of the game. Uh, and we're finally uh, finally getting it together. So how's everything going, Candler? Things are going really well. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man, always, anytime. All right. I know Mike finally, uh, finally didn't leave me hanging as the only person drinking on this episode. So what do you have? <laughs> what, oh, I, I just have water. I just walked back in the house from work. Yeah, Mike, what are you drinking? <laughs> yeah, usually that's my that that's what I do, but I, I'm actually drinking a uh, Labatt Blue, throwing it back to my uh, college not college days, but high school days back in Detroit. Okay. High school when you were 21 nice. in high school because underage <laughs> right, I mean, is illegal. I, I'm a super senior in every sense of the word. Like I was like tw- almost 26 when I graduated UGA, so you know, there we go. Yeah, I'm that's like um, another favorite bulldog of ours that was in his mid 20s. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Mike, what was your position on the team since you were in your mid-20s? <laughs> just hanging out at the Chick-fil-A uh, near the uh, near the student center, just like <laughs> wa- watching like Ty Gurley like come in there and like Aaron Murray after he got hurt. That's that's pretty much it. Just stalker, I guess. <laughs> it's uh it's kind of like how you said flankers, you were the stalker. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh I left this Elijah Craig single barrel on the desk after last week so i'm cracking it and this is going to be my last drink until i am done with that four by four by 48 on sunday so that's uh that's gonna suck that's gonna be awesome. yeah but that's i mean that's an awesome an awesome cause that you have uh, going there yeah if um if you guys haven't listened in a while i am doing the four by four by 48 david goggins started a few years ago Um, but it is either run four miles or do an hour worth of exercise every four hours for 48 hours straight to raise money for charity. Um, and I am doing it not running because my knees are trash. Um, but I am doing it to, uh, raise money for team Savannah for veterans helps homeless and veterans in need in the Savannah low country area. So if you are interested in donating to that, the link is in our Instagram. But without further ado, we're going to start talking to Candler. And first question we have is not even about the national championship. That uh, that New Year's Eve night, 
were you as terrified and disappointed as the rest of us that said there's no way this team's winning this game? Well, I was worried for sure. I actually said before the playoffs started that Ohio State was by far the toughest matchup out of the other three teams for Georgia. I didn't think that they would beat Georgia, but um, Michigan's strategy of just trying to run it up the A-gap every play is, is not going to be successful against Georgia, as we saw a year ago. And um, TCU, while they're underdogs with a chip on their shoulder, they don't have the perimeter talent that Ohio State has. I mean, they're there are multiple, you know, All-American-esque caliber players that the Buckeyes have in space. They're playmakers. So um, during the game, yes, I was worried. I mean, in the fourth quarter, it really looked like it was not going to be our day, and, and Ohio State was going to have quite a redemption story. Yeah, no, in, in our in our group chat, I at one point, I think it was 1033 on the dot, I sent a text. I said, there's no way this team wins today. And, yeah. Uh, I was very happy to be wrong. Yeah, so, it was an interesting experience. That was one of the only a few games that I did not get to go to in person. Um, and so I was watching it at a sports bar and it was just interesting hearing the New Year's countdown in the background, which I wouldn't have been able to do inside the stadium um, while that, that kick was up in the air. It still stresses me out thinking about it, if I'm being 100% honest. I've <laughs> oh so i i, I cried afterward um because i i grew up a michigan fan like in that area so like oh, uh, yeah. the hate for ohio state's like magnified quite a bit so i <laughs> obviously i was a little bit overserved but i uh i uh it, it all came out of me you know at midnight it was uh it was quite an experience yeah i don't know if i've ever seen a game quite like that i mean the only comparison I can think of with as big of stakes is maybe the Rose Bowl in 2017. But that year was interesting because while Georgia overcame an even bigger deficit in 17 points, we had it within seven a couple of minutes into the third quarter. So the comeback had already kind of been on and it turned into just kind of a chess match at the end with nobody pulling ahead by more than a score. Whereas Ohio State, we had to come back not once but twice by two scores down. Yeah. I, I still get stressed out watching the Rose Bowl. I think I've only watched it twice since that game. I, okay. For whatever reason, these I can't do it. I just can't do it. <laughs> That's funny. I enjoy it and because I know how it ends. Yeah, like going back and watching, the especially the second half, um, definitely makes it easier for sure. Yeah, just skip right to the second half because that first mm -hmm. half was ugly. It was, it was right after Baker catches that, you know, the, the Philly special before the Philly special. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. All right. So you made that trip out to L.A. When did you buy your tickets for that game? I ordered them through UGA. So they had okay. to place an order beforehand. And then if we did not go to the game, the order wouldn't be fulfilled. And I had already um, in, I believe, August, or if not, it was right around the start of the season, September, booked a hotel with free cancellation in L.A., just hoping that Georgia could go. And then once I get there, I found out that a couple of days before the game, that was named the official TCU fan headquarters. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so there was a whole lot of purple there. And there was they actually talked more smack than I thought they would. Um, but they, they didn't really want to say too much after the game. 
I mean, I think that that leads right into a question Mike had about uh, about the TCU fans. Yeah, I was going to ask, uh, like, just kind of interactions, like, pre and post game, because obviously it got out of hand, you know, fairly quickly, you know, early on in the game. But, like, what was it like pregame, like, the, talk, the smack talk between uh, you or just Georgia fans and TCU fans in general? You know, it was interesting because TCU fans, they didn't really have any kind of direct smack talk because we almost never play each other. I know um, Kirby's actually coached against them twice now, but we may see each other, you know, once every 30 years or something. And so it was more just about how it was their season of destiny. Um, I was in the uh, the hotel lounge waiting for my sister who had a later flight. And uh, while I was there, the a bunch of TCU fans kind of surrounded me and were doing a cheer saying like, here's to us being national champions tomorrow. Um, but I guess the team didn't hear about their toast. <laughs> what was it, what's the hand gesture that they do like i was trying to m- make it out like oh, during the game isn't it this yeah it's something just like a claw i think use, use my strong hand uh yeah i it interesting to say the least yeah and they were you know they were they were interesting they didn't talk they didn't talk more smack than an sec team would have but they were quite confident i guess they just you know, beating the odds so many times, but there was no team that they played this year that there was anywhere near Georgia's talent level until Michigan. Um, and against Michigan, those two pick sixes really made a huge difference in the impact of that game, just the whole flow of it, because Michigan nearly came back at the end. And so if that game starts off a little more even, you know, they seemingly had the momentum. Yeah, that was a tough watch for me. Like I said before, like I grew up a Michigan fan in the in the Detroit metro area or Metro Detroit area. And, you know, I, I was in a pretty poor mood going into the, uh, into the peach bowl, but I'm like, well, if Ohio state loses, you know, as, obviously as well as Georgia goes on, I'll be good. I'll get over it quickly. But yeah, they, they really, they, they got ahead of themselves. Like looking forward to Georgia, I think. Yeah, I agree. And, and I'll say this one of my biggest takeaways, which is how beautiful that stadium is. Um, SoFi was incredible. And I spent a lot of time in it because there was only one true tailgate spot allowed. And that was like the official Allstate CFP tailgate. And my friends and I hung out there for a bit, but it was raining on and off all day, which is rare for LA. And so they were opening up the stadium gates. I believe it was like three and a half hours before kickoff. And we knew they'd have college game day in there. They're playing music. And so we went ahead and headed on in very early. And I did a few laps, really one around each concourse, that stadium. And it was just a work of art. I mean, they had a, a terrarium with all kinds of plants in there, um, nicer, like higher end food and drinks than a lot of stadiums have. I know the stadium caught some flack for the, the rain coming in sideways during the game, but <laughs> overall, I, I thought it was a great venue. But yeah, I mean, that goes back to what you said. They don't get rain. Like it rains three or four days a year in LA. They Right. Why build a stadium for three days versus 362? I completely agree with you. Um, and so, you know, it, it's interesting because if it's raining normally, it can't get inside of that stadium because it is covered. There's just a gap between the ceiling and where the wall starts. So the rain really has to be coming in sideways. And so that was just an especially rare day. And it got on the camera too, like, especially the one that went like over the field, uh, like, uh, you know, the over the field view. And it, it just caught me off guard because I didn't realize it was, you know, a giant, you know, $3 billion gazebo. I thought, I it, thought it was entirely inside. Yeah, exactly. It, it was kind of an interesting layout. I've never seen a stadium quite like that, um, but it was unique and I, I think a really fun venue. I think LA did a, a good job with it. 
And Georgia fans traveled well, too. So if you had to compare SoFi to any of the other stadiums you've been in, and you've been in, at this point, dozens, where would you rank it? Um, overall, I mean, I'd, I'd probably have to say one. The, really, the only negative thing is just the, the, the rain can sometimes come in sideways on a freak day <laughs> because everyone, I mean, the staff were so nice and helpful, and they actually, for big games, they integrate it. So in order to go to the official tailgate, whether it's a national championship, a playoff game, whatever, but for the bigger games, there's an official tailgate that you must be a ticket holder to attend. So they actually scan your ticket at the tailgate. So when you want to walk into the stadium, you just breeze right on in. That was pretty unique. Um, I thought the sound was great. They were playing a lot of music before the game. They had gigantic concourses. So it was easy to walk by and listen to Saban and Pollock and Herb Street and everybody else kind of diagnose that game. I really want to get out there, especially after, after hearing you, because like I said, you've been to dozens of stadiums at this point all the SEC, Mercedes-Benz, all that kind of stuff. So if you're talking good about it, then I then I trust your uh, your opinion there. <laughs> yeah, Mercedes-Benz is is up there, probably a top three one for sure. Um, but SoFi, at least as of now, it's the most expensive stadium to build in the history of the world by three times over. So I, I think it shows. That's I didn't know that. That's insane. Yeah, yeah it wasn't so, three billion or ish more than that. It was. 5.5 the next closest Ooh. is the the las vegas raiders was 1.8 and mercedes-benz was right behind at 1.7 that's right <laughs> i don't know if you I, my computer cut out um for a moment there but um how like just the location of the stadium itself like you know inglewood from you know plenty of songs is always up to no good like is uh, how is the area surrounding it? Because everything I've heard from people that have been out there is like, you know, why would you build a st- stadium out in Inglewood? I've never been to California, so I have, you know, no idea. I have no frame of reference whatsoever. Well, I'll put it this way. I, I really don't know a lot other than right at the stadium because I heard the same things that you did. And so Georgia fans didn't really hang around that area outside of, you know, just the hours of the game. And so almost all of the, um, you know, UGA events or, or unofficial meetups of people, they were in, you know, Hollywood or out in Santa Monica, um, which was fun to get to see a lot of the different, you know, communities and neighborhoods in LA. So as far as the atmosphere of the game, because I mean, it's in LA, you've got celebrities that have tickets that have watched like two college football games in their lives. What was, what was the atmosphere like? Was it enough fans to make it feel like a like a truly important game or was it more just if you were in the area and had enough money? I think it it was a great atmosphere. I mean, pretty much all of the late season games um, are going to have a good amount of corporate tickets, even outside of LA, you know, in Indy, there were a good amount of companies that are in the oil industry connected to that game that got their batch of tickets or a suite. So um, I thought the crowd was great. It was loud. TCU only really got loud the one touchdown that they scored. And after that, it was really just a Georgia celebration. And then um, around halftime, the rain started coming in at such an angle that it was only hitting the TCU fans. So that helped empty them out a little faster. That's that's hilarious. Because, I mean, I'd seen posts on social media about TCU fans were upset because they said that like the playoff committee knew that 
the rain was going to come in from that direction. So they put TCU there on purpose. And no, there, there was no conspiracy. It, yeah, um, it's crazy. Those, well, those seeds are determined years in advance. So it was just whoever the one seed was going to be on the sideline that we were on. Well, yeah. God's just a Georgia fan, apparently, because, you know, the rain came down in the Tennessee game, and that's what cost them, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, that was an interesting one. I think the rain kept, you know, helped Tennessee, you know, prevent it from becoming a blowout, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I heard a lot of excuses by Tennessee fans. I heard Georgia didn't cut the grass short enough. I heard the field goal posts were off center. Um, I heard they pumped in crowd noise, um, you know, all sorts of just absurdities for that game. <laughs> well, that was an interesting one. That was really the loudest that I've heard any stadium ever. Um, and it was because oh, yeah. it was such a game of significance. I mean, it was one versus two. And and Tennessee had very clearly proven themselves, you know, beating Alabama and somehow just beating the brakes off of LSU and Death Valley. That was one of the more impressive wins in retrospect because, I mean, they, they worked LSU even, way more than Georgia did. And it was a blowout early. I mean, I think the end of the first quarter, they were up four scores or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, I mean, the, the wildest thing about that Tennessee game to me is – most gunshots are in the 140 decibel range. The loudest point in Sanford Stadium that day was 137.2 decibels. So yeah, almost that, as loud as a gunshot. That has to be the loudest game of all time, I would think. Mm-hmm. That's the stat that I'd heard, but Tennessee fans tried to dispute it, and so did um, Kansas City Chiefs fans. They tried to say you know, that Arrowhead had gotten louder. Yeah, I'm not sure when comparing it to NFL teams, but either way, I've never heard one that loud. No. Um, So, like, so going out, like, leaving the game, because obviously, you know, everybody knows, like, the game was pretty much out of hand. uh, What, with, like, what, eight, nine minutes left in the second quarter? I mean, it was pretty much decided at that point. Or, like Tebow Uh, said, midnight on New Year's. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, Like, what – what was the general mood like amongst like Georgia fans there? Like, were you just like waiting? Or, like, like was the excitement? Cause like, it, it seemed anticlimactic to me. Like, um, cause you know, the, the, uh, score was pretty much, I mean, the, the outcome was already pretty much determined at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say, I think it was a great mood. Um, Georgia's had some nail biter games was obviously just coming off one in the, um, the peach bowl. And so I think Georgia fans really enjoyed it. It was a fun way to send off Stetson. We already knew the game was in hand and he could go off a winner. It was great to see some of the young guys who might've been even more hungry than the starters were. So I I was all for it. I I think that, you know, in a way it was more fun than a neck and neck game. We just had one of those a year ago in the national championship too. So it was just fun into a dominant season. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, I just had a question. I lost it. It's okay. Thanks, concussions. Oh. <laughs> CTE. Oh. Um, um, Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to try and figure out what I was talking about. Um, so, again, going, you know, going back to toward, like, the end of the game, because um, obviously you said most of the TCU fans had left, you know, prior to the end of it. But did you, like, coming to any, you know, or have any like experience with them being like sore losers or like, you know, force force about it. Like, were they like generally salty when they left or were they like, well, we kind of saw that coming. Like they got, they had time to get over it as, as, uh, as they were leaving. 
I think it was a mix, but they they took it about as well as um as I think they could have. I mean, they they certainly didn't think they were going to go in there and um you know lose by fifty eight points. And um, just seeing some of some of the commentary that ESPN had, they said you know the score really wasn't indicative of of how bad of a beatdown it was. It should have been worse. So I I don't think they expect to get just run out of the stadium that quickly. But I think they were already happy. They knew they had a magical season. They overachieved. Uh, they were just a little bit shy and. You know, interestingly enough, they're not really going to have a trophy to show for it because they didn't win the Big 12 either. But I think um, it'll be interesting to see, do they build on that and stay relevant? Or is this like Gene Chizik's one miracle year at Auburn where it's just downhill from here and that's the best TCU, you know, was ever realistically going to do? Because in a 12-team playoff, that TCU team does not make it to the championship game. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great point. I I mean – any team it, with a good defense that can do any sort of covering out wide would beat that that TCU team. It, I mean, in my opinion, at least. But the Big Twelve doesn't play defense, so we didn't really get to see it. Yeah, I would take um, Alabama, Tennessee, even Clemson, um, maybe Penn State or Utah over TCU. And South Carolina late in the season. Today. Yeah, that's who TCU reminded me of. I think that was a great comparison um, that you just made because South Carolina was an eight and five team. They overachieved. Um, They they pulled off some big wins in terms of um, beating Kentucky for the second time in seven years, beating A&M, their annual rival, for the first time ever in school history. Then they knocked Tennessee out of the playoffs. Then they knocked Clemson out of the playoffs. And they did all of that just to improve their win-loss record by one year over year. So that's just how brutal the SEC is. And so I think TCU last year would have been about like a South Carolina. They would have stung a few people that um, are teams that they were underdogs against, and they would have lost a bunch of games too. I think South Carolina should put a banner up because they ran out of fireworks for scoring so much against Tennessee, but I'm a little biased. I just can't figure it out. I mean, South Carolina, ever since Spurrier left, has always been a bit bipolar. But when you juxtapose some of those games, I mean, late in the season, they get worked 44 to six by just an awful Florida team. And their one touchdown came on special teams. So their offense was shut out. And then they like I was at that game. Oh, you were? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I took a trip day trip down to the swamp for that game. And I have never in my life felt bad for South Carolina Gamecock anything. Um, but at halftime, I really did feel bad for South Carolina at that game. Like that was tough. And especially because Spencer Rattler was hitting guys in the hands and they were dropping them or flipping them up in the air for a pick six or whatever it was. Yeah, it was so interesting. So that's, that's what shows how difficult it is to be a team like Georgia. We are consistently playing well week in and week out against everybody because, you know, you look at that Florida team as well. You know, they look like world beaters against South Carolina. And then, you know, they get really physically beaten down by Vanderbilt and just absolutely destroyed by an Oregon State team that had never beaten an SEC team before. At least Florida was the first, you know, anything yeah. to put them down. <laughs> so for the game, so Kirby obviously pulled pretty much every starter in the third quarter. I feel like, you know, with the people I've talked to, I'm one of the few people that kind of wish Stetson would have gone back in for that last kneel. What do you think about that? That's interesting. You know, that that could have been a great way to send him off, um, you know, take a knee and 
hold up a finger in the air um, as we as the confetti rains down. But I get the the idea of if we already gave him that ovation and took the time out that there may not be a reason to do it again. I could see both sides in that. Yeah, I I agree. And it was it was some good. I think it was great experience for Carson Beck. Um, to get into a game because they kept their starters in for almost the entire game. But, you know, and this kind of leads us into one of the next questions I want to get into here. You were at Georgia on the team while Mike Bobo was coach. What was that like behind the scenes? If you ever interacted with him, you know, he's with him being the new offensive coordinator and um, with his, History of not really having dual threat quarterbacks. Do you think that gives Carson Beck a better chance for the job? Well, I'll say this. I love the Mike Bobo hire and not just because he was there. um, He coached there when I played there because he wasn't my position coach or anything, but because of how adaptable he was. If you look at when he first got to Georgia, we were running like a pro style, you know, fullback, um, run it up the middle and play action type of offense. And he truly evolved the longer that he was there. I mean, with Aaron Murray, we're, we're lining up and running plays out of the pistol. Georgia's, I mean, that'd be sacrilege even just five years before then. And the fact that that 2014 team um, led by Hudson Mason is still the highest scoring in school history. I mean, that is just absolutely incredible. So he evolved and grew a lot. And man, the, the one year after Bobo left, the offense tanked from 2014 to 2015. So it made a a huge difference leading to coach Rick getting fired. So I love the hire. I think he's going to do well. He's shown that he can evolve a lot. He'll be a fantastic recruiter for Georgia because there's almost, you know, kind of like Kirby and Muschamp, there's almost no one with more ties to UGA and more time there than those guys. So I think he'll be a great hire. It's an interesting point you make about Carson Beck and him not being a mobile quarterback. The only mobile QB that the Bobo worked with was really DJ Shockley. Um, Georgia hasn't had too many of those. In a way, you could say Stetson was, although he was usually only taking off three or four times a game. Um, but I, I think whoever the quarterback is, that the offense is going to be in very good hands. We're returning four of our five offensive linemen, the best tight end in America, another great tight end, and a, a whole host of receivers plus a couple of new ones. So I think the offense is going to be poised to light it up. And um, contrastly, we don't face many good defenses this year. Um, based on just expecting returning production um, where teams defense is ranked last year. So I think there could be a propensity to, to put up a lot of points this season. Go ahead, Mike. Um, so um, moving on from, uh, you know, more recent stuff. So kind of going back to your, uh, Mike playing career. So if they had an NIL when you were um, an active player at Georgia, what, uh, what, like what sponsorship do you think you would have been able to get like the best one you've been, would have been able to get um, as a player? Um, I just don't think walk-ons would have gotten anything unless there was just some group that gave everyone on the team a few thousand bucks or something. But I think there would have been some interesting ones. Um, and I think that really that process was long overdue. I know some people disagree with how it was implemented because it seemed like there were so many rules and then overnight there are no rules. So it could have been, um, input with more structure. But I think that a lot of people were just frustrated because the NCAA has been so morally bankrupt for so long. Like the perfect example, when I was on the team, if, um, and, and keep in mind, Coach Rick was more strict than almost anyone, but if someone had an arrest or they, you know, hit their girlfriend or something, you're missing a game. 
if you signed a jersey and sold it to someone, you're missing four games minimum. That's an NCAA rule. And so what are we telling people morally when um, that is considered the worst thing you can do? And not just that, but they would have compliance talk to us. And they said, if you're at a car wash or you're at Willie's and you're getting a burrito and they say it's on the house, that's a four game suspension. So I think it was long overdue. So I was glad to see it change. Um, there are a few other things in play. Like one is that Supreme Court recently ruled that football players in college are employees of the university. They're not student athletes. So the schools have a few years to set up a salary program for them. I think that could have probably been a better first step than NIL with the wild, wild west, because these guys are putting in 40 hours a week and some of them may not come from any money and they'd like to buy their first car or take a girl out on a date. And so I think giving them 40 or 50,000 a year could be reasonable. Um, it wouldn't hurt the schools that much. And the way that it's going to be structured, they don't know what the amount is, but every player at every level. So like all power five scholarship players will get the same. So the last string guy at Vandy and the starter at Bama will get the same amount of money. So there's no holdouts. There's no negotiating. Um, I think that could have been a good first step, but NIL is still a step in the right direction. It's letting players capitalize off their brand. Um, and it, it may take some time to work out. We've seen some icky situations like Florida, promising a quarterback money and then not having it. So um, I'm sure there'll be more. Which like is that. technically an NCAA violation to offer an NIL yeah, deal to a recruit, but we're just all yeah, overlooking that right now. <laughs> so what NIL deal would you have wanted if you had the opportunity to pick? Well, probably one like Raising Canes or something. I know yeah. they obviously like Stetson a lot, but man, their, their chicken is so good. Um, their, you know, their bread that they have with it, everything about it's just great. All those Axby's could have been good too. I, I know uh, about a year ago now, there was that meme going around that was pretty popular that said how it started and it was JT Daniels with a Zaxby sandwich and then how it ended and it was Stetson working at Racing Canes. I guess I just need to go with to, to Canes with you next time because every, like, I've been to the Raising Canes on Baxter three times and quite literally every single time I bought, bit into a chicken tender and it was quite literally raw in the middle. Interesting. Yeah, that is a rough go. Um, I think the Baxter Street one's really one of only maybe two that I went to. Um, and it's, I mean, I, I may go once every four years now. So it may have, the quality may have fallen off. And I've had the same experience as John with the, the, the few times that I went. So, yeah. Yeah. I heard it's great I mean, there's a reason why it keeps opening up like all around the country. So it's it, it must just be a me and me and John thing or John and I thing. Yeah, or they, they, that one location could have a new owner or something. You never know. Yeah. They see me walk in. They're like, oh, screw that guy. Don't even cook his food. He wants it. He wants to stuff medium rare. <laughs> medium rare NyQuil tenders. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> over the last, what, three months, you've been, you've been all over the place. You went and saw the World Cup, right? Yes. So how would you compare either of the national championship games to the World Cup game you went to? Great question. Um, I would say they're, they're different and they're both incredible in their own way. So football is going to be the most sustained loudness of any sport. I mean, there's nothing else where people are, are cheering like that every single second so loudly. Um, however, soccer has burst that felt to me like they were a higher decibel level 
maybe that was because I was in the American section and surrounded by everyone. But when there was a big attack going on or when there was a goal scored, I mean, people were losing their minds. And I, I came away very impressed with Qatar. Their people were very nice. They were welcoming. The country was beautiful. They have great beaches, a, a, a nice desert, uh, beautiful downtown. It was a great experience. I had a similar experience with the people that I that I met and spent time with in the Middle East, but no beaches or cities or it, it, it wasn't it wasn't fun. It can be hit or miss because, uh, you know, a lot of the Middle East kind of gets dumped in or bundled up as if it's all the same. But it's really not um, like I, I'd say Dubai and um, and Qatar are very different from the rest of it. It's very nice. Like Qatar is the number one or Doha, Qatar is the number one safest city in the world. To the point where my Uber driver taking me to the game, he was also attending the game. He just throws his keys on the dash and leaves the door unlocked. And I pointed that out to him and he just mentioned it's Qatar. Nobody would ever dream of stealing anything here. Wow. That's insane. Yeah, I think a lot of it is that there are, you know, big penalties if someone steals. Like, I don't think they go light on people like they do here, but it's also money driven um, because not the mean that's driven by a few people at the top, but the medium salary in Qatar is a little over 130k a year so at US so imagine if like an elementary school teacher or a bus driver made that kind of money people would probably be far less likely to commit crimes like stealing yeah that's fair uh, that's very fair so keeping on the world cup train of thought with sure. the US hosting the world cup soon how many games are you trying to go to a lot. I mean, if it works timing wise, I know Atlanta, where I live, is already going to have multiple games. So I'd like to go to maybe even each one in Atlanta and then the majority or maybe even all if I can work it out of the U.S. games. It's just such a cool experience. You meet people that have been to World Cups for decades and decades. Um, and, you know, I know we're going to have a lot of great host cities for this next one. A lot of those games are in the U.S. So I'm, I'm hoping Americans really get into it and, um, you know, represent ourselves well and are loud and, and kind of put ourselves on the map from a soccer fan perspective. Do you know uh, what, like, round that Atlanta's hosting? I know they'll have at least one, and I believe it's two group stage games. And then I know for a fact they will have a semifinal. Um, I don't know in between if there'll be any quarterfinals or, um, you know, round of 16 games, but there's going to be at least three. Nice. Nice. Atlanta's definitely shown out for the MLS team. So like they definitely have proven, you know, their soccer fandom. Exactly. Yeah. Atlanta United has a fantastic crowd. I know a few years back they had the highest average attendance of any soccer club in the entire world. So I think we'll have a lot of fans that get behind it and it could create some fun atmospheres and introduce some people that haven't really given soccer a shot um, to that sport. It's a great sport. No, I, I agree hundred percent. I've been to a few Atlanta United games and the first one took a little bit of getting used to because I'm mm -hmm. so used to football, baseball, hockey, like where there's someone telling you what's going on. Like this play was this, this play was that you know, this is a person who's got the ball or this is a person who's up at bat. And then at soccer, it's just the crowd and you have to pay attention and or have good seats or eyes to understand who's doing what. You so really it's do. Getting used to, but I've had a great time. It's, it's very different from almost every other sport because 
like you mentioned, there are no breaks in between plays, so you're not getting commentary. <clears throat> Very rarely do they have time to show a highlight. <clears throat> and then there are other negatives of it that in stoppage time live, you don't know how much time is left. The whole idea of stoppage time and being so subjective is, is already not the greatest thing. And then faking injuries is obviously a part of it. So those are kind of the negatives that take more time to get used to. But the fact that everyone stands the whole game and continues doing chants and the fact that they let people bring musical instruments into the stadium, um, it's just a really unique, fun atmosphere. You know, it's one thing football is good at, not faking injuries. No one, no one in football does that, right? Well, they do some. I guess in, in football, though, they know that, you know, if, if you don't get a flag, that you basically have like a one or two minute break. But sometimes in soccer, they'll just keep rolling over, you know, as if they're about to pass away on the field. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've been going to a lot of the hockey games here in Savannah, um, and they do the same thing. Like, unless you're bleeding or can't get up off the ice, they're going to continue playing. Right. It, it's yeah, and it's a very tough sport. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. I was I was too uh, <laughs> I was too scared to play hockey. I played everything else uh, growing up, but I'm like I, I can't skate and uh, I didn't want to get hit with the puck or anything like that. So definitely, that was the one that I decided to step out of or not even try to get near. <laughs> a couple yeah, of weeks it, ago at a game, a referee got hit in the mouth with yeah. a puck, lost two teeth on the ice. And then after that, after that period and intermission were over, he was back out there with his face looking like a chipmunk. He, yeah, it's, I, we'll I mean, blame, hockey's we'll blame the missed calls on the swollen face. You know, we'll just we'll can, pass over see this. Anything. Yeah, it's a dangerous sport for sure. So, of all of the college stadiums you've been to, which is your favorite? That's not Sanford to take the bias out of it? Um, just the stadium or the whole game day experience? Game day experience. I would say um, actually University of Washington. Ooh, I had the chance one. to go there, um, not this fall, but the last fall. And I think part of it was just the, the experience itself. There was a friend of mine who invited me out there and he has a, a boat that he sailed from the Puget Sound up to Lake Washington. And it was the same idea as Tennessee sailgating, except for you can park your boat literally five feet away from the stadium wall. And wow. um, their fans were really loud, surprisingly loud. But I know Washington and Oregon tend to be a little louder stadiums than some of the rest of the Pac-12. Um, <clears throat> also, this plays into it a little bit of like regional bias. When I go to another school and I'm wearing Georgia gear, I usually get treated differently than if I'm just wearing neutral gear. So everyone in Washington was very kind. Yeah, when we went to that Florida-South Carolina game, it was uh, it was Kelsey, me, and a couple of friends. Shout out Sean DeBerry and his son. Um, but we were all like, I was wearing my Jordan Davis jersey. Sean and his son were wearing Jordan Davis jerseys. Kelsey was in a bright red Georgia shirt, and everybody's like, "The hell are you doing here?" It's like <laughs> we never get to play you guys. I couldn't drive sixteen hours to Starkville. It just it just sounded like a good a good experience. Right. Yeah, I, I think it is a great one. I hate that Georgia never gets to play in that stadium because um, I enjoyed it. I went there once for a Florida LSU game and it was loud and there Gainesville has enough to do. That it's a decent college town. And if you haven't been to a game since they started doing the Tom Petty thing, it's worth going to a game just for that. 
I was there the very first game that they did that for. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nice. No, it's, and they've got a stadium app where you can put in your seat now and then hold your phone up. And there's a light show with everybody's phones that has the app to the song. It's, they've done a really good job with that. That is cool. Um, Mike, do you have, do you have any other questions for Candler? Um, kind of similar to what John asked. Um, and I know you've answered this before, but what's like, as a, as a player, just like, you know, as a, you know, as a member of the team, what was your favorite away stadium to play at? Um, <clears throat> well, yeah, trying to think through it. I actually never played in a true away game because you can only take 65 guys. So, um, the I, I've dressed out for some neutral site games, um, like the two bowl games that we were in, um, the Georgia Dome twice. It was a cool atmosphere, both for that Boise State game, but then the SEC championship game against LSU was a great atmosphere because the team had really pulled it together after starting off 0-2, and the fans were were really, really loud, and then we were, you know, obviously winning at the half. Um, so that was probably my favorite non-home game crowd experience. Well – uh Candler, do you have anything else you want to you want to talk about before we get out of here tonight no i just really enjoyed uh talking with you guys as always this is fun and i think we're going to be in for an exciting off season for georgia i know people are already um putting out the term three pete which I'm, I'm sure kirby probably hates hearing that or having that thought put into people's head but i think we're going to be one of the most talented teams in the country again um, it's obviously difficult to win any national championship, let alone multiple in a row. But I think our odds of winning it this upcoming season were better than they were last season. No, I agree just, with that 100%. Just given the talent, we're not losing 15 draft picks this year. I'm sure we'll lose seven or something, but not the same amount. Yeah. The um, So if you're up for it, I may, uh, I may see if you'll come back on and talk to us maybe around uh, G-Day and then like we did last year for fall camp, kind of talk about some defensive position battles and that sort of thing. Um, Yeah. All right. Let's, let's, um, I mean, we'll talk about it as time comes, but everybody Candler said he doesn't hate us and will come back again. So that's good news. (laughs) Yeah. Always enjoy hanging out with you guys and, um, if I haven't decided if I'm going to G day yet, but if I do, and if, if you guys are there, let's meet up. I'm actually going to be at a music festival in Austin that weekend. We bought the oh, tickets wow. in like August and, uh, and then G day was announced that weekend. And I was like, well, that kind of sucks. The one weekend that I don't have, or that I have something planned until like May is the one weekend that they decided to put G day on. But um, oh man, well, you'll have fun. I've heard Austin's a great city, I still haven't made it there yet. Um, I was hoping to go when Georgia played at Texas, but that game was obviously canceled. But hopefully, we'll rotate through there soon enough. I, this is actually going to be my second time in Austin in a year because I went for the uh, the U.S. Grand Prix in October on, on the bye week. So, I mean, if you haven't been and you like giant, weird, just kind of different sporting events i highly recommend a formula one race because okay i mean so for for friday practice after the different practice sessions were over there was a i don't know close to two hundred thousand people green day concert after after practice 
And then Saturday they did qualifying and then, you know, 200,000 people for Ed Sheeran. And then for the race, I think there was, there was close to 200,000 people at the race. And depending on where you're at, they don't stop you from jumping the fence and going up right to the podium for the, uh, for the trophy presentation. Yeah. It's incredible what some of these uh, racing sports can draw in terms of crowd size. Yeah, no, it was, it was all, if it didn't cost so much, I would go regularly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I mean, they're doing a race in Vegas now. First time they've ever done a race in Vegas. They're having one this year. Um, so the U.S. now has three regularly scheduled races every year, Miami, oh. Austin, and uh, and Vegas. So if you have an opportunity, it's a great time and just a wild experience if you've never been before. Yeah, that that sounds like a great experience. I, I need to do that in one of those cities sometime soon. Miami and Vegas are ridiculously expensive. I mean, you're talking $2,000 a ticket for Miami and more than that for Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, but Austin's not that bad and Austin's a great city. So that's good. That's closer to get to from Atlanta as well. Yes. It was a hassle to fly there from Savannah, but they have multiple flights going out there every day from Atlanta. I mean, we're actually driving in April because flights are like $900 a person from Savannah. Wow. I mean, that is ridiculous. That's, that's a flight to Europe basically. Yep. Yep. So uh, the four of us are road tripping to Austin and we're going to try and make it in one day. And how long of a drive is that? Is that 14? 18. 18 for me. 18. Well, good luck. Make, make sure you take a couple rest stops. We got four people, so we're going to rotate driving. And I've got a right. friend that lives in New Orleans that said we can come crash on their couch if we need to. So so we we have contingencies in place, but it's it's going to be a rough four-day turnaround to drive there and back. Yeah, that is a, a rough turnaround. The longest drive I've done um, was 14 hours, and it was by myself last year. My flight got canceled to the Orange Bowl in Miami um, the day before I was going on the flight, and JetBlue rebooked me for after the game. And so I'm on a company work retreat, kind of an end-of-the-year thing, a three-hour drive north of Atlanta. And so I drive from three hours north of Atlanta and I was trying to get all the way to Miami, um, but everything kept coming up. There was just this biblical rainstorm and the sky, even though the sun had set long before, the sky turned red and orange um, and just downpouring everywhere. And then, of course, around McDonough, everybody forgot how to drive. So there was like a, a wreck and backed up for a few hours there. And finally, after 14 hours, I'd only made it to Orlando, not even Miami. And uh, I texted Connor and he was nice enough to let me crash on his couch for the night. Cause he was going to the game the next day too. Oh, there you go. Miami's a rough drive. I I've made that trip oh. a couple of times from Atlanta. And it was after the last time I drove to Miami that I decided if it's over eight hours and not ridiculously expensive, I'm flying like that. It's just it. Um, right. But Agreed. Austin, that's a good for- cutoff for us this time is ridiculously expensive. So we're driving. Right. No, that's, that's fair. Well, glad you have people to rotate with. That'll make it easier. Maybe you can stop at some, a few Bucky's on the way. Oh, I, so when we were in Texas, every time we stopped at Bucky's, they were out of brisket sandwiches. So that's my goal for this drive. Oh, they're that popular there. Okay. 
I've I've never seen that, but I've only been to Bucky's in Georgia and Florida. Yeah, we went to the one in Daytona um, over Thanksgiving, and like it was everything that we hoped it could be. I mean, we spent way too much on merch, like for it being our first time going there. But we got you know, all the you know the, the brisket sandwiches, the uh, uh, beaver nuggets, and all that. I mean, we had all all the uh, all the sweet spots. Yeah, I've actually got this is a toy for my dog, but I actually got him this when I was at Bucky's, <laughs> the beaver mascot. We, um, my, my middle son, Lincoln, he got a, a Santa suit with like the Bucky like head over top. So it's like a Bucky with his, uh, you know, Santa hat on and all that. Like it's, it's a whole thing and big old like throw blanket and everything. Like, like I said, we spent an irresponsible amount of money on merch. That's funny. Well, it's a great place for sure. Oh yeah. And they, they start putting out breakfast tacos at 2 AM for those of you that are interested. Uh, um, because after after the Green Day concert on Friday, we stopped at Bucky's on the way back to the Airbnb and they had chicken breakfast tacos at like 205. And uh and we probably got a few too many of those, but it was worth it. Yeah, I'm sure they were good. They probably had bacon, sausage, ham, all kinds of stuff. It, they were great. Keep that but in mind. um I think we're gonna I think we're gonna close it out here, guys. You know, we say it quite literally every week follow us on instagram nothing.finer.pod just search us on facebook youtube twitter is at finer pod if you want any of our merchandise like that koozie mike has been drinking his weirdo canadian beer out of (laughs) that's on the website as well and that is nothingfinerpod.com um all of these episodes are going up on YouTube. So if you're interested in that, check out there. And I think that's it. Um, as always, remember, there is nothing finer in the land. Than a drunk, obnoxious George fan. Thanks, <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me. Talk to you guys soon. See you. Third mile, Duggan from the two will throw it all the way across the field. It's picked up by Bullardy. Bullard got it again. And Bennett to throw, lobs it to the right corner. There's McConkey. He got on his donkey and made a sliding catch in the right corner. Touchdown.